Welcome to the Doghouse. I'm Diana. And I'm David. It's Riverdale, Season 5, Episode 17, Chapter 93, Dance of Death. After learning that a friend has gone missing, Tabitha enlists help from Jughead and Betty. Penelope plants doubt in Kevin's mind. An explosion at the mines leaves several lives hanging in the balance. Whoa. Whoa. Like, okay, the last two seasons, the last three episodes are the best. Season three, season four, that's where we're like, damn. And then it kept getting better and left us wanting more. And I'm like, okay. So maybe that's another indication that they keep doing too many episodes. It, the the large episode count isn't servicing their story. No. Yeah. Yeah. This episode was really good. It set up a lot of stuff. It answered a lot of questions. It left us some breadcrumbs to what I believe is going to happen in the future. There were a couple moments that made me go, wow, they're listening to our podcast because hot damn. <laughs> yeah. There's two specific moments. I was like, they're listening to us, which if you are, hello. Hi. This was a pretty i mean perfect now it's riverdale but pretty damn good (laughs) the story was good the actions taken were also interesting and most of the emotional weight hit well most most uh, there are some things i quibble with (laughs) but overall this was a fun episode of riverdale i enjoyed myself because things happened like i We've spent the past, I don't know how many number of episodes with some interesting stuff, but it didn't feel like a whole hell of a lot was going on. You know, in a mystery show, you've got to have downtime where sometimes you just feel like you're moving pieces on the chessboard around. That's fine. The problem is what they've done with this season is that they've done nothing with most of their characters. They've underutilized everybody or what they've done with them is gross. Or we've done it before, or or it's just <laughs> shit we don't care about. So we're not spending time with the with the people with the new dynamics that we're interested in. Or knowing how lazy Riverdale is, they've done all of those things at the same time. Well, yeah, they do some of that too. I don't have a problem with a filler episode, especially if it's fun filler or it's interesting filler, or it's the type of filler that you're not going to get a payoff from any of the information you get until way later. I actually appreciate those because it's a sneaky way to give you little breadcrumbs to what's coming later. This one paid off some stuff that I appreciated and then also gave us like the the Tony and Fangs moments. We're like, where has this been all season? This is what we should have been having going on. Um, and also those scenes belonged in at least one episode prior to this one, but that's a different, we'll get to it when we get there. There's a lot of moments in this episode where we went, well, this is great. But why didn't you fucking do this before? A little. What took y'all so long? Yeah. So we start with Betty and Tabitha returning to Pops after their night of hitchhiking, of trying to get truckers. And we find out that they're not getting any nibbles. And Betty's really annoyed because she's like, well, I bet we would if we were alone. Which is fair, strategically speaking. Mm-hmm. But also, we we know why she's saying this. Sure. Well, I mean, there's that. But it's just, you know, Tabitha's not going to let her be by herself anymore because it's dangerous, which good on Tabitha. And Tabitha's retort to that is just 10 quiet nights with no new murders is a win in my book, which is fair, Um, which is kind of is part of the point. Like part of it is to deter people from murdering people, but also find the killer. So they're accomplishing one of those goals. But, you know, our resident serial killer expert has to weigh in. 
again, fair. This is her obsession. This is also her area of expertise. Like, hey, um, when serial killers go quiet, that's when they're the scariest because that's when their their lust for hunting comes out. But then Betty gets interrupted and Dr. Curdle is calling and Eva's like, it's early for you. And <laughs> he's basically calling grifting. He wants more money. It's like, I need to dispose of the body that you brought me. You're our tongueless friend. And Betty's like, no, that's evidence, but we can't hand it over yet. And he's just like, I'm anxious and refrigeration is expensive. So Betty's like, I'll bring you some money. <laughs> and then he sips some cocoa? Something to that effect. What's fun is that they've realized just how weird Dr. Curdle Jr., I might add, <laughs> is, and leaned into it more with him to make him even more fun than Dr. Curdle Sr. was. The fun cocoa sipping bits and Josie cheering is delightful for this character because sure. he should be a weirdo. He should be a a fun weirdo we encounter on the reg. Mm-hmm. Like how Pops was. He wasn't a weirdo, but he was just a staple of the community that we saw all the time and we didn't think twice about. Same thing with Dr. Curdle. I'm fine with that. Dr. Curdle, the Pops Tate of death. <laughs> yeah. So Tabitha is like, uh, and here I thought leaving Chicago for Riverdale would mean no nightlife. <laughs> <laughs> so she's just like, right, this is more than I bargained for. And they just agreed and they agreed to meet at dusk. We head on over to Thornhill and Cheryl is super excited because she's got another big rock of palladium. Even though they haven't hit like a giant load, she still has faith that they'll do well. But Archie is a little concerned. He's like, we're working our asses off for you, but we could be doing more topside to help Riverdale. And Cheryl is very annoyed with this uh she's like you know what what is it you need to do fill potholes and archie's like maintaining the town's infrastructure is important until we can get reincorporated so like archie has a long-term plan yeah to save riverdale because he's archie okay and he's just like you know i'm happy to do that work on my days off but it takes money so he's like I need to know that my crew is going to get compensated if we actually find this palladium. So Cheryl's like, okay, okay. I'll deposit a modest finder's fee via Chime, who's a new sponsor, (laughs) in exchange for the nugget. And so we see that she's deposited like 500 and something bucks in his account. I think I want to say it says 517. It says 517. It does. Okay. I knew it was five. I couldn't, but 517, which is this episode Mm -hmm. and he's like okay great and she's gonna keep doing this to subsidize the revitalization efforts to which archie's like we'll work our asses off for you okay great cool you know you're paying for hard manual labor in mines on commission fuck off she's paying them regardless but what she is doing is she's giving them more of an incentive it's also like getting a commission for when you find something okay. to incentivize them to continue working. I'm not saying this is right or good, but it's the whole, well, I'm paying you to mine. And if there's nothing in it for you, when you find good shit, there's nothing in it for you to work harder during that time. That's the point she's trying to make. Oh, Cheryl Blossom. <sighs> this is a very classic Cheryl response, mm-hmm. but it lets us know that while all this shit's been going on, Archie is still trying to save the town. Like we've seen bits of it, but again, this this is one of those breadcrumbs that I know is going to come back later. This is Archie's, you know, 
big plan. We head on over to the Pembroke and it's divorce time with Veronica. Chad's being a jackass. He wants uh, the house in Sag Harbor that Veronica says that she bought with the money she made on Wall Street. Chad wants alimony. And he also wants the Pembroke, which Veronica's like, fine, have it. She calls him a worm. She's like, you know what? Take this ring. Rotten hell. I don't care. All I need is Archie. Which is just a really quick escalation. And it makes her look like a child. This is not the same Veronica we saw last episode. Last episode, she was her she-wolf of Wall Street that we've been hearing bullshit about. And she was taking Chad down. And her to behave this way in this moment is a betrayal of that Veronica. I'm fine with all the words she said. But for her to react this way, it's acted poorly. And not that Camilla, Camilla was bad. Camilla's great in this episode. She really, truly is. But she's in the wrong episode. Well, it's plot-driven dialogue for no other purpose than to make the flip around that's going to come here in a minute. No, but even that flip around doesn't work. It, no, Veronica, while I I like what she does later, this is not the same Veronica as we got last episode. It was this is a really this betrays that, and I think this is where I'm gonna call shitty director on. Because the director should have seen this and been like, this doesn't service this story and what we know. And our director of this episode is Natalie Bolt, a.k.a. Penelope Blossom. I'm not trying to shit on her, but this performance is in the wrong episode. If you take these exact same words and you have Veronica say them coldly and calmly, they're chilling. They Mm. really are. You just have her here. Take this ring. Rot in hell. I don't care, Chad. Take it all. All I want. All I need is Archie. And then she stands up and walks out of the room. That's calm, collected, in control, Veronica. This Veronica that we got in the episode in this scene is a child. Is It's the same bullshit she did to her dad. Instead of daddykins, she might as well be saying chattykins because she wants her Archiekins. That's, that's my problem with this scene. Words are fine. The direction of that performance is horrible. Because that performance, a more serious one, is better fuel for what Chad does later. Touche. What <laughs> <Thought> about this? <laughs> so then we cut back to Thornhill and Kevin and Penelope are lighting candles. And Penelope is not hiding it at all. Poor, dim, impressionable Kevin. I'm worried for you. <laughs> She's not wrong. She's not wrong. But this is, I mean, we get confirmation that she's pissed because she wants to be in control. (laughs) And so she just says, you know, Cheryl's twisted this for something profane. Dare I say cult-like. And uh, when Cheryl made those bees dance to her infernal tune, I got the distinct Wicker Man vibes, which is a great reference. (laughs) It is. It's, 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 I'm not mad about it. Yes. And Kevin's response is really, if this religion's a cult, then you're in on it too. Totally fair. Yeah. And uh, her response is just, my will is a steel rod. Can you say the same? And she leaves. And Kevin's kind of like, huh, maybe not. And we know Penelope to be a formidable opponent. So when she wants to do something, she's going to fucking do it. Her daughter is very similar in that way. Also completely dropping any pretense that this was anything other than a grift for her. Sure. My will is a steel rod. This is like, I don't change, dear. 
Penelope strikes me as the type of woman that if Kevin had come to her and like, is this all been a grift? She would have been like, yeah. Yeah, dummy. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to cut, you'll play along. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's the Penelope that I feel like we've come to know. Penelope is such a wild and unbelievable character, but she's fairly consistent. Yeah. Yeah. She's consistently conniving and weird. Yeah. Well, I'm okay with that because it's it's mostly entertaining. I mean, I'm sorry. Oh, Nightmare Child. One of the best things ever. Uh, we cut on over to Pops and Tabitha gets a phone call from Mrs. Field and she asks, how's Squeaky doing? And then we cut to the flashback from our first one of our first episodes where Tabitha says goodbye to Squeaky. And, you know, she says, you know, Riverdale's done with me and I'm done with Riverdale. And so then we cut back to the present day and Tabitha's like, no, no, I haven't heard from her since she left. So we kind of know, which we already knew with the truckers. This was like, she's probably dead. She's definitely not here. Sure. And this is one of those things where I wish had come up earlier. This was something that should have been breadcrumbed. Oh my goodness. One of my friends left and I, I believe she was hitching and man, I hope she's okay. I haven't heard from her. It's like, oh man, you know, I'm getting worried. Like, and that should have been part of the thing that fueled Tabitha's desire to go to Betty. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. I feel like this should have been a breadcrumb because we knew it was going to come back later when we saw this scene originally. We knew it had to be. But to give Tabitha that weight with a little bit of a breadcrumb would have made that made more sense because it, it just does. It's better fuel. Why are they so sloppy? <sighs> I. I mean, a lot of this comes down to they don't know what they're doing. They just start and they don't have their end game. Like they don't know this is what we're going to do this season. And this is how it's starting. And this is what we'd like it to be at the end. And how do we get there? And what do we want to have happen to our characters as they go along? Somebody posted this the other day as like a writing Twitter thing. And mm -hmm. they, they meant it partly as a joke, but it's really true. An idea is not a plot. Sure. And that's what they've got here. They've, they've come up with some interesting ideas mm -hmm. to start off with, and they have some really great premises and threads, but they've never, ever bothered. And it's really apparent in this season when they've got really good premises and ideas to play with. They don't thread any of it together. They definitely have not done that with season five. Season three, they didn't do a very good job with that. The only time that they were able to do it was at the very end of season three. And that is solely because they had to shut down production because of Luke Perry's passing and they had to reset. Yeah. They had to go, what do we have? How do we make this work? Season four, they did a much better job. Was it perfect? No, but hands down, I would say season four is almost as good as season one in the storytelling and putting things together because of that Jughead mystery. Yeah, and and that's not to say like that Riverdale's always been that inconsistent, but this season in particular, it's just y'all had a bunch of stuff you threw at the wall, mm -hmm. and then you've tried to sort of back end justify it as you went through. Sure. I also understand that, okay, in the writing process, you realize this is not where this character needs to go, or this is happening too fast or too slow. I get that, but y'all have had way too much time on in the writing of this. To have it be this fucking sloppy. It just is. It's yeah. just sloppy. And I understand, again, season five has been a shit show because of the pandemic, because of all of the things we know. And we've we've tried to be forgiving about some of that, like the pacing and some of that was like, mm, I'll take a four month hiatus. 
And especially when you get an episode like this and be like, so we could have been doing this all along. Yeah. That's what you're telling us is that the quality of work that you had in your back pocket was this good Mm -hmm. and y'all decided to put a bunch of shit in filler inside. Yeah. That's what's insulting. We're going to move on to Tony's office, which again, this is one of those scenes that I really loved. It's so fabulous for the growth of two characters, which I'm calling it. I'll call it later in another scene, but Britta's going to be fucking important later. But this scene does not belong in this episode. (laughs) And this scene could have been filmed before Vanessa Morgan went on maternity leave. But they didn't have her fucking story set. They had no idea what they were doing. And that's why. And that's a disservice to the actress and the story. That's where I'm annoyed. We're walking to Tony's office with Britta. And we find out that there was fighting. And Tony's surprised that Britta was involved. And Britta says, I punched Tim Higgins once. And only because he wouldn't stop calling me homophobic names. To which Tony's response is, that's completely unacceptable. And I'll talk to Tim. But violence is never the answer. And so then Britta says, I know. And she comes out to Tony, but I haven't told my family yet or anything. And so Tony responds that, you know, it can be a process and a difficult one. It was for me, but the good news is only you get to decide when it's the right time for you. And I'll be there if you need anybody to talk to. And Britta asks, would you be there when I tell my parents to which Tony says I would be honored. So lovely scene. This is one of the moments where I felt like they were watching to us because they, instead of saying the actual slurp, which I believe in previous seasons, they would have said, yeah, they would have had us heard whatever horrible thing Tim Higgins called Britta. They said homophobic names, which is restraint on their part. They let Britta define how she was going to say it too. Yes. Which is giving that character agency. This scene should have been cut up in a little bit. It could have, I mean... And it should have come sooner when we're seeing Tony at work because we barely got to see Tony doing her job. We could have had Britta coming to like this counselor and Britta being like, you know, I am. I think I am. Okay. You know, thank you for telling me. I just feel like this needed to be more drawn out. And again, breadcrumbs and just a little more handholding from Tony because Tony is the exact right person to be having this conversation with a student, both as a character who we know to be bisexual is what she stated previously, but also being the guidance counselor at school. And so I just feel like they didn't allow for any nuance here. Because they spent no time on it. Yeah. From the very beginning, we could have started this process. We could have had this scene the first day we see Tony as guidance counselor. No, because we hadn't met Britta yet. Okay, that's that's fair. You know, Britta is in shop class and joins the football team, which that's a stereotypical thing. Oh, that girl's playing football. She's probably gay. You know, there's that whole stereotype bullshit about it. Leave the breadcrumbs and that's fine. But we we should have had this scene much earlier in the season. And and have it if you're going to make Britta a more important character, have Britta have the agency to figure that out as well. Sure. There are three or four scenes packed into this one scene. Yes. That should be explored between each of these characters. It could have been so much for Tony's character and the Britta character that would have been so good. Which would have made this this moment so much more impactful Mm -hmm. when Tony has to be a part of this team that chases down the serial killers. 
We rushed through that so fast. It's a fucking mess. It's a fucking mess. So then we go to Hiram's office and Chad's there because he's seeking advice from Hiram Lodge, which is like the last person you should ask for advice from. But it's Chad, so. And he's just like that daughter continues to be such a thorn in your side as she is mine, huh? All right. And Chad is like, I, I was hoping we could reconcile. Hiram just tells Chad, you won't as long as Archie's in the picture, which is true. Oh, yeah. Hiram understands. I'm not bullshitting anybody anymore. I mean, he says that my daughter's greatest vulnerability is her love for Archie. Very true. It's been exploited time and time again. (laughs) And so he pulls out the ghost gun that Reggie got for him and is like, (laughs) take care of it. Do what you got to (sighs) do. So stupid. So stupid. Well, it's so Hiram. Uh, Yeah. It's exactly what cartoon villain Hiram Lodge would do. Sure. Sure. So. I don't think this is stupid. I think this is purely logical Hiram Lodge at this point. Oh, sure. I just said the scene is stupid. Well, probably. But it's one of those things that I wish Hiram had been leading Chad to this conclusion. And then Hiram just pulls out the gun and then take care of it. I feel like that would have been, we know Chad's a coward, but I would have liked to see Hiram. We've never seen Hiram and Chad with Hiram trying to guide Chad the way he would with Archie because we saw that all the time and that would have been brilliant and it would have been great and it would have been a lovely mirror to that too. Why did Hiram invest in Copter Cab? Exactly. So it's it's that type of bullshit which I'm like, this scene is stupid but whatever. Uh, we go over to the teacher's lounge. Hey! Uh, and Cheryl's there to pick up Kevin who's reading The Wicker Man. <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is. And it's just like hey you want to go back to thornhill together and kevin's like hey when we pray who are we praying to jason fair question fair question i love that kevin's being very good at pretending not to suspect anything though suspecting everything oh sure (laughs) Uh, he's he's doing a good job here and Cheryl's like he jason's more of a conduit a messenger to the higher power and kevin's just like what is that (laughs) and cheryl's been caught and she's like not sure, but let me fast on it. It's like doing a cleanse. No solid food. Only hot water, lemon, maple syrup, and a hint of cayenne pepper. But she cannot say cayenne. She said cayenne. Well. I was just like, oh, honey. <laughs> no. Hang around with KJ too much. Cayenne. <laughs> Which, if you don't know, that is like the recipe for like the fat fellas cleanse. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah. That's bad dieting horribleness 101 right there. It will definitely flush you completely out. Not in a good way. <laughs> Cheryl s- believes that she can be refilled with wisdom and answers for you, Kev Kev. But okay, <laughs> whatever. Kevin's face. Kevin's face this whole episode is just like, ah. So we head on over to Pops and Tabitha is talking to Jughead and Betty, which is like, this is the first real time we've seen them together when something fucked up wasn't happening. And she lets them know about Squeaky. And Jughead asks, you know, is there anything we can do? And she's like, yeah, actually there is. The Lonely Highway killings are a mystery, right? Well, everyone tells me that there wasn't a mystery you two couldn't solve back in the day. And I love that when she says that, we get this very sweet smile and knowing glance between Betty and Jughead. It's like, yeah, we were the best at that when we were kids. Great. It's it's sweet and it's fair. So Tabitha continues. So I'm canceling all of your shifts. And she's saying this to Jughead, to which you can see his concerned look on his face. Oh, God. Oh, God. She's like, you'll still get your weekly paycheck, but it won't be to bust tables. It'll be to help Betty. Then she looks at Betty. And she's like, are you down with this plan? And Betty's like, yeah, Jughead. And Jughead's like, yeah, 
okay, what's our first step? And Jughead just looks at Betty and says, I'm assuming you have thorough case files. Yeah, I'll start by reading those. Betty's smirking. It's not a bughead thing as much as it is just relief to be like, thank God I can't handle this on my own. It's Betty Drew and her trusty sidekick. That's what it is. This is somebody who knows how I work, knows how I operate, and is going to trust me and not think I'm crazy. That's what Betty needs for this problem, which she was never going to get at Quantico. So I like this. This is a natural Betty Jughead interaction. And that's what we get from them throughout this episode, which again, I also love. There's just been way too much. When are they going to get back together? And Jabitha's not going to happen. And oh, we just wish Lily and Cole were back together in real life. And it's just like, I mean, get over it. They're they're TV character. How about they just be really good friends who are good at solving mysteries? Like People date, people break up. And then they can also like still really like each other and just know we're not right together romantically. That's okay too. Please show healthy platonic relationships on this show, especially with people you've previously had sex with. Boy, if those two can have a healthy platonic relationship with each other, fan-fucking-tastic. I just see a lot of people bringing in the real-life relationship into it. And it's just like, they're real human beings. Leave them alone and don't make that a part of this show. There's some real wild-ass shit going on in certain Riverdale corners. Yeah, and I, I, I will say, I do see a better trend of different forums and groups being like, we're not going to tolerate any conversation about real-life ships. These are real human beings. We're not talking. You can ship characters all day long that you want. Real life people is off limits. Yeah. Which I think is a really good stance to take. Also, like, I appreciate it when I see other forums be like, we're not going to post paparazzi pictures because those weren't taken with these people's consent. Mm -hmm. Like at an event is a different thing. They know they're going somewhere where they know they're getting their picture taken. But when they're out about living their lives. Leave them the fuck alone. Exactly. (laughs) I appreciate that stance. So everyone be cool. So now I go to an alley and Archie's taking out some trash and Chad shows up and tries to shoot Archie and he jumps out of the way. And then Captain America throws a trash lid at Chad's face. Riverdale. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking nails him. Nails him. So Archie's been Batman and Captain America this season. (laughs) It's so dumb. I'm going to go in like Batman. Like Batman. <laughs> uh, I love how pathetically bad Chad is at this. He's so bad at this, but we knew it was going to happen. And that's fine. It's very entertaining and fun for the story mm-hmm. for him to just be so bad at any of this. Yep. So we come back from our intro and it's Betty Drew and her trusty sidekick Jughead and they're reviewing the case files and Jughead's just like, so you captured a guy who more or less confessed and then swallowed their own tongue because they thought you were going to dismember him. And Betty's like, yeah, that's sort of the last big thing that happened. (laughs) That look of like, it's it's been hard, Jug. It's it's interesting. But as far as we know, Betty still has not told anybody about being captured by TBK. As far as we know on screen, she's told nobody. The only person who knows is Glenn. Betty kind of summarized her theory that a family of truckers who've been kidnapping and murdering hitchhikers and sex workers. Okay, great. And then Jughead brings up Anne Lerman Marshall Logan, my ex-student that disappeared on the lonely highway. Okay, great. Yeah, like this has happened before to not just hitchhikers and sex workers. Okay, cool. So they, they talk a little bit more and they're like, okay, 
I wasn't allowed to talk to him when I was a teacher and he was a student, but he's transferred and I've been fired. So we need to talk to Lerman. And Jughead's like, yeah, I'll find him on social. Especially because he does not fit the profile. He doesn't fit the profile, which is probably why he was let go. Love uh-huh. it. Okay. I, I like seeing the conversation about them working it out. This is just classic Betty and Jug. I'm here for Once it. we get into this, this mystery solving, it's just like, oh, we're back to like season two. <laughs> yeah. At the end of this scene, Betty gets a phone call from Dr. Curdle. Betty's like, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. I have your money in small bills. And he goes, uh, there's been another body brought in from Swedless Swamp, Miss Cooper, and you'll find it very interesting. And so we come back and we're just like, okay, this body has been dismembered completely. Oh, joy. Oh, what would make them change their MO? Maybe to make the bodies harder to find? And okay, so based on the level of composition, it could be your sister, but we need to perform a DNA test. And Betty's like, yes, let's do that. But also we need to perform it on Lynette Squeaky Field. She vanished around the same time as Polly. So I'm going to reach out to their family for a sample. And we see him do a swab in Betty's mouth. So cool. You got a new body. It might belong to someone. I just, I, I just, I just realized. What? What makes them change the MO to be dismembered? Because none of the other bodies were dismembered mm-hmm. from the family. Mm-hmm. Who, who dismembers bodies? The TBK. Yup. Well, remember when I said I think TBK is a part of this family? It's possible. So that would explain him disposing of bodies in this area. Yeah. That also explains the scene immediately after Betty says she's going to dismember this guy. That's when he's like, nope, mm-mm, nope, we're out. Rogue Stark weather. It's a rogue Stark weather. But also rogue, rogue blossom. blossom. Hello. <laughs> That's the other thing. How many times on this podcast have I said? Secret Blossom. Secret Blossoms. We have a whole clan of Secret Blossoms. Oh, it's it's fucking wild. So again, that's going to be the other thing. TBK is distantly related to Betty. Uh-huh. Which is, again, just lovely fodder for Glenn and his serial killer book. I almost feel like if, we, if that is determined true, Betty's going to be willing to talk to Glenn now for the book. And then Betty's going to become famous in that way. It's going to be weird. Or... That's going to become the thing that Jughead writes about. She's going to let Jughead write that story because he's a better writer. And that puts Jughead back on his good writer path. Sure. You see, that's the thing about these episodes that when they do them really well, it creates so much fodder for good theorizing. It's true. We go back to the Pembroke and Chad has a bandage on his nose. And this is where Veronica becomes smug, which is better than the childish bullshit. And she's just like, your pathetic attempt to kill my lover has made me rethink what I want out of this divorce. I'm getting everything and you're getting nothing. And if you don't agree to those terms, I'll seek to press murder charges against you. To which Chad, like, how? You dropped the gun, idiot. Which is true (laughs) and hilarious. But this is where they take it too far with the writing. Check and mate, you little bitch. Uh Uh-uh. Veronica doesn't talk this way. Is it bad that I want her to talk this way, though? (laughs) If we saw that this was how she talked when she was truly the she-wolf of Wall Street, which we never got any of that, which I'm mad about, that would be something she would say to Chad to, like, egg him on in, like, a joking way. But then it became, like, you're just a little bitch. That would be okay. But, they again, they didn't do any of the groundwork. So this is totally childish on her part. And, again... She clearly she has the upper hand, but the way she's behaving with it, I was like, again, you're in the wrong episode. Eh, I don't know. I like it. <laughs> like playing it smug, good. You drop the gun, idiot. 
like that was enough. Like she did, like, I didn't like the you little bitch. And believe me, I curse all the goddamn time. It's just misplaced because she does it again later with Hiram. And I'm just like, no, this doesn't fit. It doesn't. It doesn't. When, when Josie called Hiram a little bitch, perfection. And I think that's why they did it again. They thought it was hilarious and they wanted to do it now. It's like, it doesn't work the same with this character. It's the, it's the wrong thing. I'm not here for that. Now they're having a breakfast feast at Thornhill. God. Penelope is practically devouring a croissant, which they, they made that table look good. And Cheryl's just like, I'm fasting for enlightenment. And then she gets up and she's almost faints. And Kevin's like, you know, let me help. Just leave me alone. You doubting Thomases. I'm going to let the invisible hand guide my brush. (laughs) She's off to paint. Okay. The Penelope torture of this all. Mm. I'm feeling lightheaded. (laughs) It's just, well, that makes me feel like she may have drugged her a little bit, which would have been more fun. Oh, there's all sorts of bullshit. Oh, I mean, Penelope is a master of poison. We know that. So like, come on, let's poison Cheryl a little bit. Come on, (laughs) let's do it. Let's poison all the parishioners. It's just ridiculous. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's whatever. Uh, We go to Hiram's office and we just have a room filled with pathetic men. (laughs) literally my note just pathetic men yep and chad's just trying to be sad and pathetic and just like archie was in my sights but the gun misfired no it didn't you're you can't aim to save your life and hiram's just like veronica stole my palladium archie stole your wife and i thought one bullet would right those two wrongs but a wise man's once said never send a boy to do a man's job get out of my sight chad you disgust me better yet get out of riverdale because you've lost my daughter forever which all that stuff is true. Yeah. You send a dopey kid to do a big deal job. Like mm-hmm. you knew it wasn't going to work. He basically just said, scram. He's a cartoon villain. He is a cartoon villain, which again, they're fucking listening to us. Hi. <laughs> now Veronica shows up at Archie's house and she's got the papers and she's a free woman and they have the worst sex scene they've ever had on the show by far. <laughs> It is so bad. There's nothing hot or so. The only slightly hot thing is the dirty fucking smile on Archie's face when he's like, I know what it means. It's bone time. The like fake fingernail, not even barely scratching. It was so stilted and gross. And you can't even, you can't blame COVID for this. You can't blame. Betty and Archie had sex in the shower. The hottest fucking thing they've ever done on the show. (laughs) Also in the time of COVID. This is bullshit. So yeah, they bone. Whatever. We go to the Cooper house and Alice is actually like on her way out. She's got some dry cleaning that she's taking with her. And Betty's actually a little surprised. And Alice is like, I don't mind the distraction since Tom called and said there was another body found. And Betty's like, yeah, I went to the morgue. And Alice is like, is it? Is it, uh, we don't know, but they're going to do a DNA test. And the body was dismembered. And Alice is just kind of like, oh, God. And Betty's like, me and Joe could have a lead. No, she's just, just keep me posted. And she leaves. Again, this was so good because we know we know the next episode is a musical. It all takes place in Alice's mind. Okay, great. With the last episode and this episode, we're seeing like good breadcrumbs. Like Alice is not okay. The setup for this is fantastic. Yes, they get extra points for this. We know the musical was filmed last, but like, come on, like this, this is good. This is good planning. Mm-hmm. So they're capable of it. They're capable. 
which again makes it so goddamn frustrating. It makes it frustrating with everything else. We go back to Thornhill and Cheryl is showing Kevin this painting she made. And apparently they're worshiping to Gaia, uh, the earth. And Kevin's just like, okay, I'm happy you found some clarity, but I think I'm out. This religion has gotten a little too fringy for me. And I hope that's okay. And Cheryl is clearly disappointed, but she says, Kevin, you've always been free to grow, but you'll always have a place here. And as Kevin goes, we see that Penelope has been watching and she's very happy about this occurrence. I actually thought this was really, like, nice for Cheryl in a weird way of being like, okay, I hate it, but okay. It is, but classic Cheryl comes back later. Well, yeah, she's grumpy. Like she, She's Cheryl. She's Cheryl. At, at least she's not, like, going to have Kevin murdered because he left the cult. Not today, anyways. <laughs> There's always tomorrow. But again, I feel like this is just more confirmation that Penelope is scheming, scheming, scheming. On the flip side, this worship to, to Gaia, I think, is very much talking about Cheryl's a witch. Mm-hmm. Capturing those blossom witch powers, which I'm here for. I'm all for it. That's how they want to go. Yep. We go to Pops and Betty and Jughead are waiting for Lerman to show up. And while they are, we see on the news Alice kind of playing with everybody to make this stop for her because this is a nightmare and she keeps like she hears that there's a dead body and she hopes it's her daughter yeah she's like this is a nightmare please please help me wake up which again lovely breadcrumb to what's gonna happen in the next episode hopefully if they do it well which i think they can they've picked the right musical i'll say that lerman shows up uh apparently his bus was late and now we go over to the tang's apartment tang's Tony and Fangs. That's my preferred name for the two of them. And Fangs is massaging Tony's feet because she's had a long day. And she relays to Fangs that she went with Britta to come out to her parents. And Fangs just calls it. It's like, let me guess. They didn't immediately say, we love you no matter what. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no. They said, are you sure? Do you have to be? And Fangs is just like really apologetic. And then we get a little bit of both Tony and Fangs coming out like we get that it was really hard for Tony and her Nana didn't do very well. And then we get uh, for Fangs that his dad was like, oh, you're bisexual. So you have a choice. So choose to be with a woman. It's like, that's not how it is, dad. <laughs> like This was great. Like, this yes. was so sweet. Fangs asked the question, is Britta going to be OK? And Tony says, you know, I think so. She's a tough kid. And I talked her parents off a ledge. But just for the record, whatever baby Anthony is, I'll be ecstatic. To which Fang says, same, which is so sweet. And I love their relationship and their friendship. And I love that they've they've decided to have a child together. It's fabulous. And again, the scene could have come so much earlier. It could have come before they had the baby or right after. Like, there's just so many other ways they could have given us bits of this relationship before and they didn't. Like we could have had this with Kevin when Kevin was still in the picture and it would have been so wonderful because it also would have undercut Kevin's stuff that was going on underneath that we didn't know about yet. So I love that this happened. I just wanted more of it and wish it would have come earlier. I love Tony's face when she's saying, no, they said, are you sure? Do you have to be? I love the annoyance from both of them of like, 
Stupid parents. Parents are the worst. <laughs> but this is where I'm saying I'm calling it. I'm an. I see them taking Britta in later. Possibly. That's a classic trope in in TV. My guess is Britta's gonna get a girlfriend. That's too much for mom and dad to handle. Britta goes and stays with Fangs and Tony. Baby Anthony has all the people. <laughs> all the people. Baby Tony. Baby Anthony. Love it. I'm here. I'm I'm okay with it. Now we go to the mine. Start shaking. What's that? Rocks start falling. It's been blown up. Right before that, Hiram's staring at his countdown clock. Yeah, there's a there's a countdown clock that we've seen before. <laughs> Does Hiram just have this one clock that he hooks up to every bomb he blows up? Okay, so here's the thing. Hiram never denies that he did it, but we don't know for a fact that he did. There's a part of me that believes this is Penelope. There's a scene... I can fathom wherein Penelope goes to Hiram or Hiram goes to Penelope and they decide we need to do something. Penelope needs Cheryl to stop with the palladium bullshit. Hiram wants to get rid of Archie, but he also wants the palladium. So they hatch some, some scheme together. There's some, there's something about this that to me reads Penelope's involved with this. She has to be. They've always been somewhat close. They've always been cohorts. They just have. She was there when she went to prison. She's like, she knew all about this. Even before then, when she was running the Maple Club, Hiram knew all about that. So it's because their griffs have never interfered with each other. Makes total sense for them to continue working together. Oh, our griffs align. Let's work together. God damn it. I, I just, I, <laughs> now if it's not fine. But it just, because Hiram never tries to deny it, never, I sus- I feel like that is a tell that he is, he, well, he's probably involved. He is not the only person involved. He's definitely not unpleased about the result. No, he's fine. There's an explosion in the mine. Everybody gets out except for Archie and Eric. Cheryl is working on a scroll and she gets a phone call. What is it, you Philistine? She's not happy with Kevin. No, no. but you know. And then we see Veronica gets the phone call. So, okay. The people have been alerted. Boss and girlfriend. We get it. I also love that Cheryl's like, oh my God, what? <laughs> like immediately he's just like, oh shit. Yeah. And also it's Archie. And like, who doesn't love Archie Andrews? You can't not love Archie Andrews. Even Cheryl. <laughs> Even Cheryl. So then we go to Pops. And now we have Betty and Jughead talking to Lerman. And we hear about his experience with the Mothman. He got picked up and he felt like he was in a spaceship because it was all metal. He was alone. But then they let him go. And they're like, who? The Mothman. He helped me escape. And they're like, wait, what? Like he had red eyes. One was bigger than the other or like weird markings on his face. Um, he said I was a mistake and I shouldn't have been caught and that he was throwing me back the way you would like a small fish back into a lake. And like, wait, what? But the Mothman said, don't tell anybody or we'll have to come back and get you at night. All right, so, you know, sure. You got to threaten them and you leave them. And so then Betty gets a call. Dr. Curdle has the DNA result, but he wants to tell us in person. So, okay, things are starting to move along with this whole Mothman thing. Puzzles coming together. Okay, cool. We go back to the mine and Veronica has shown up and she's like, what's going on? <laughs> and they've been trying to call Archie and Eric, but of course they can't get a signal down there. How long is it going to take? And Frank's like, we need heavy due to equipment. Even then, it's going to take hours, if not days. And Frank's like, whatever it is, whatever the cost, just do it. And uh, she's like, okay, but there was an explosion. What kind? And Frank says, 
this was done deliberately, but who in the right mind would blow up a mine on purpose to which Veronica says, I have a guess. <laughs> which giving Frank that question is stupid because Frank was in the prison while they were mining and then it was exploded by Hiram Lodge. So like he should have been like, why did Hiram blow us up? No, they needed to give that line to somebody else. Kevin. Okay. Kevin probably would have known. They had other gentlemen digging with them, so they could have given it to one of them, but then they have to pay that actor more money. So I understand, but <laughs> Kevin would have been a better choice. We cut to the mine and Eric is covered in rocks and debris and Archie's trying to help him out. And he's just like, okay, it's just us, but we need to conserve oxygen as much as possible. And I'm going to dig us out. And as he says that we see like more rumblings from their ceiling. Dun, dun, dun. So we go to the morgue and Betty finds out that the body is squeaky from <laughs> squeaky fields, but she's related to the tongueless John Doe. And she's like, how could that be? It was like, oh, it's a very distant cousin. She's like, no, all the Coopers are either dead or accounted for. <laughs> to which Jackie goes, what about your more distant relatives? The Blossoms? And it's like, ah, shit. And then we find out that Dr. Curdle's morgue was broken into and the body of John Doe and the severed limbs of Lynette Fields were stolen. And they're like, oh, yep, they're covering their tracks. They heard my mom on the news and they came here to steal the evidence, just like that stolen Mothman body that was taken. Okay, yeah. And so, okay, we're going to need to go talk to Nana Rose. Jughead's figuring it out. Like, they're all connected. So let's go talk to that lady. And Tabitha says, okay, you two go. I'm going to get in touch with Squeaky's family. But guys, when it's time to take these monsters down, I want in. Hell yeah, Tabitha. Okay, cool. She's one of us. <laughs> Good. She's one of us. She is angry. So we go to Hiram's office and he is listening to the radio announcement of two minors, Archie Andrews and Eric Jackson, which, okay, this whole time on the show, they've been minors, M-I-N-O-R's, so and they're younger than legal. So it's really funny to hear two minors, M-I-N-E-R, as people who are working in a mine, Archie Andrews and Eric Jackson. I'm sorry. I thought that was hilarious. It made me really <laughs> chuckle hard. It's an audio joke. I'm here for it. This is an audio medium. And I'm laughing really hard now with my face. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's stupid, but cute at the same time. And I think unintentional. And I'm okay with that. The funnier part is what happens next. So he's listening to that. And Veronica comes up behind him and clubs him over the head. <laughs> mid smirk, like mid Hiram smirk. Sure. I'm, I'm here for that. That's it's so that good. That's great. So there's a little commercial break and then we come back and Hiram has been tied to a chair. And again, the scene is good, but this doesn't match Veronica's character. The way she's talking to him, at least in the beginning of this scene, doesn't make sense because she's coming off as a child. And that's always been my problem, especially with this, with this flash forward, is that she's treating him like her dad, but she doesn't love him like a dad at all. And she despises him. And she should be way colder <sighs> until she talks about what happened when she was 14 years old. We should have seen the turn in her becoming more emo emotional. Yeah, you're right. This is this is bad acting slash bad directing. That this is messy. The scene, what's supposed to happen, I'm fine with. The writing as it is, okay, with one problem. Her kids say is for when you turn 15. 
Hmm. She said 14 year old twice. Now you can argue you are turning 15. So this happened when you were 14. But I distinctly remember that when she had her quince, she was no longer 15, that she was older because she was having it late because her father was in prison. <laughs> y'all, y'all need to see the look on Diana's face right now. <laughs> you just needed to say when I was 15 and we wouldn't have a problem with any of this. Or do you remember the day of my quinceañera? Yeah. Or don't say anything. Do you, well, I mean, do you know, like, yeah. And usually, like, do you know what that does to a young girl? Like, cool. That's annoying. But the point is perfectly placed, though. Yeah. She's like, you treated me like crap. I overheard you tell people I was a disappointment, and I've spent my entire life trying to get your approval. For what? You're a horrible human being. I don't want your, I don't care anymore. So that's where, like, we needed to see the change in the acting. We needed to see her be really cold and methodical and then really emotional because this really hurts her. And I've always complained that if she wanted to be on equal footing with her dad, she needed to stop calling him daddy. She should have been calling him Hiram. Uh-huh. Should have been Hiram. This would have been the perfect place for her to say, can you feel it, Hiram? Our dance of death is finally coming to an end. Yeah. Like, that would have been a great moment to make that switch. If you were waiting to really have her do that, this would have been a great moment to do it. Because it's just not great. And, like, I completely sympathize with Veronica's journey here. I, it's annoying. But yeah, it's acted poorly. It's the wrong acting, wrong direction. <sighs> I gotta admit, I didn't care in the moment because I was just too like, yes, get him. Yeah, but like, tell him what's up. I like the callback to what her teacher, what, you know, Miss Burble said in high school because we loved that when that happened. We're like, yeah, they're right. I don't love using the reference of Oedipal because it's way more than just killing your father. It's marrying your mom and killing your dad, which Veronica did marry her dad when she married Chad. So that's kind of true. I didn't think about that, but it's just not quite right. Eh. It doesn't suit. So now it's time to interrogate an old woman. (laughs) Jughead and Betty are getting up in Nana Rose's face. And this is very odd, but very on. This is very on brand. Well, like Jughead is doing it more as a are you here with us right now? Yeah. And Betty's like straight up getting into her face. Which she, I think she knows it was like, Nana Rose responds to threats. She does. She does. <laughs> and I love this actress. She's having so much fun as Nana Rose. And I'm here for it. Great. In the scene, we find out that there were a bunch of Blossom cousins. Nana Rose's husband basically screwed all the help. And when they got pregnant, it was her responsibility to see the children off. And so she gave them to a barren couple who lived in the woods. The Starkweathers. Yay. Great. So I I don't. The body in the barrel was Cousin Timothy. No, Timothy. Um, he was born with so many defects, which I don't love. Well, okay. She started off there. What I loved was the fact that they had Jughead be like, but I know. <laughs> We're already into way weird territory. Don't make it any worse. Yeah. And so once they figure that, like, there's a whole clan. I also didn't like illegitimate blossoms. I didn't love that. But I like clan of blossoms who are the Starkweathers. Okay, great. They've been living in the woods for two generations. And the Mothman was just this thing that they were more than happy to encourage. Because they didn't like people prying into their business. Of course they didn't. And Jughead. So Jughead's like, okay, do they still live in the woods? Oh, no, they migrated to the mines and then when those closed down they moved closer to the highway betty and jack are like 
who's been doing this for this long old man Dreyfus to which Nana goes, Oh yeah. Dreyfus Starkweather. Is he still alive? So that's their confirmation that yes, he is absolutely a relative. Uh Oh, now Betty and Jack are like, Oh my God, we've been there before. <laughs> Polly could have been right under our noses. And then Betty gets a phone call from Tony. There's an emergency. Okay, great. Now we have a reason to leave this scene. I think my favorite thing is her in front of Nana Rose being like, focus. Focus. <laughs> oh, great. And, and Nana being like, why are you being mean to me? <laughs> Not even my horrible children are like this to me. I've never done anything wrong in my life, which is not fucking true at all. I'm the but, devil incarnate. But I pretend I'm a sweet old woman. Who flirts with Reggie. <laughs> I'll never get over Reggie making eyes at Nana Rose at the mine. I'm sorry. So perfect. <sighs> so we go back to the mine. And okay, we've got a line of people moving rocks along. And, you know, we go through the rocks and we see Archie is really struggling. And he's like, are you still with me, Jackson? And Jack's like, how are we doing? Not great. We're losing a lot of oxygen and a lot of blood. I have no idea how we're going to get out of here. You don't really believe that, do you, Sergeant? And it's bingo behind Archie. Now, I love this. I love this because Archie goes, bingo, I thought we were square. Apparently not. And you need a kick in the ass. Bingo talks about like how Archie like, you know, did more than anybody else in their PT test and you don't have an ounce of quit in you. And Archie's like, I'm just one man. And Bingo says, with all due respect, Sarge, no, you're not. Come on, guys, double time. And we see all the guys from the squad behind him. None of them are bleeding. None of them are hurt, but they're in um, like miners, like a, like a cross between what the miners were wearing and army fatigues. Uh, they're just in their like, dressed down military gear it, like they're it, just in their their shirts and and yeah like their t-shirt and fatigue pants it's not their full uniforms and they're not in civilian clothes so it's a weird cross which is fine and they all get behind archie and spiritually help him move all these rocks which i love archie needed a little push he needed that push but i love that because we took something that was scary and freaking him out and used it for fuel like literally fuel for Archie. So well done. And again, don't tell me that you don't know what the fuck you're doing because that is one of the things that they have breadcrumbed throughout this entire season from the flash of this is Archie's journey. And it was, has been so well executed. It has. That is the only one that I can say, I don't think they've done anything wrong with this. Yep. I will forgive them for bingo because they pulled this shit off really well. Uh, we cut over to Jughead and Betty, and they're at the Tang's apartment, and we find out that Britta's run away, and her mom called to see if she was here, and they got into a fight, and her mom would check on her, and she was gone with a note saying, now you don't have to deal with me. Okay. Ooh, yeah. Again, this was so rushed. Like, yeah. this part happening in this episode makes total sense if we get, like, if we've built this up. It yeah. does. It really does. Especially... Tony being the person the parents call. I thoroughly enjoyed the Josie and the Pussycats episode, but boy, howdy, we should have had another episode because next some tissue here. We could have had so much more in that episode instead, or they could have put it in that episode because that episode was a lot of filler bullshit. So they've all decided they think they know where she is. Like she might be. We're going to go on this raid and Tony wants to go. And Fangs is like, are you sure you're a mom now? Which I really don't love that. He's being protective in a bad way. But I wish the conversation was like, hey, 
I want to go too, but we've got a child to think about. We can't, we can't just go off into raids. Yes. Cause that's my friend. I don't like saying like, you're a mom now. Like you're not allowed to do this because you're a mom. That's bullshit. But that we have to think this through because we are parents now. Mm-hmm. That's a more fair statement. So Fang says, okay, uh, we're going to take him to my mom because I'm going with you to watch your back to which Tony says, I'm going to watch your back too. Love it. Again, perfect. Their friendship is forever. Just <laughs> done gun. I'm here for it. No one better can watch the baby, Fangs. Uh, you mean my mom? You mean my mom? Because I'm not, I'm not not going either. Fair. And see, this could have also been a great moment. Kevin being like, I'll watch him. I'll stay behind and watch him. Could have been a great moment. Well, this show sucks. So yeah, yeah. it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Fuck them. <laughs> Let's keep talking <laughs> about it. Uh, <laughs> we're so bitter. Uh, we go back to the construction trailer at the mine and Veronica's messed up her hand and Veronica and Cheryl are looking for a first aid kit. Cheryl is not wearing her lipstick. So it's just it's a thing I'm paying more attention to now. And she just tells Veronica, you need to go and take care of your hand so that you're all ready and beautiful when your man arrives. Okay. Cool. When your beautiful Orpheus emerges from the underworld. So then Cheryl prays and the fire gets bigger. And the wind starts to blow in the trees. And then she talks about the water and we flash to see Jason's dead corpse in the water. And we see Archie straining. And then we see Veronica starting a bath and we see Chad sneak into her apartment. And then we see Archie carrying Eric out of the mines and everyone's excited. I actually kind of love Cheryl's reaction. Yeah. In an interesting way, especially if they are going the supernatural route with her character of having this like true emotional thank you response and then turning to walk away as the miners rush forward. So it's interesting because I feel like, you know, what you think like, oh, the supernatural Sabrina thing. I think we're going to turn her into the craft so that she has these natural abilities. And what we're seeing right now is when she's being true, they work well. Mm-hmm. But Cheryl being Cheryl, and especially with the influence of her mother, when she's used these powers for bad or in a self-serving way, they come back to you seven by seven, and it's going to be way worse against you, Cheryl. Mm-hmm. If they're going to continue down the supernatural path, they're going to start referencing that, which is also funny. If you don't know and you haven't seen the craft from the 90s, the new one I haven't seen, but I know about it. If you haven't seen the one from the 90s, Skeet Ulrich is in it. <laughs> which is adorable which ooh, robin tooney would be good on this show too i would like that ooh, robin tooney would be great as kevin's mom she's the right age too i'm here for that also neve campbell which i've also said would make a great kevin's mom because i want to meet kevin's mom this is important to me so we go back to veronica's apartment and she hears the squeaking and so she asks pippi instead of siri or alexa i love this it's so fucking funny. I'm totally okay with that. She has Pippi turn off the lights and play Wagner. So, <laughs> Ride of the Valkyries at full volume, which is a great call. The fact that she starts by being like, oh my God. And then she figures out it's Chad and is like, fuck, fuck this you. guy. Oh no, I'm, fu- I'm fine with all of that. I'm fine with the fuck you. It's so funny. It's so fucking funny. So, like, she sees it's Chad and he's kind of spooked by all the lights and the music and so he shoots a reflection of veronica and then veronica smashes him which is which looks like a vase or something and the gun falls away they both grab for it smithers comes in and he hears the fighting 
And then he hears a shot and he tells Pippi to turn off the music and turn the lights off. He says, Miss Veronica, what happened? Chad broke in and attacked me and he's dead on the floor. Yep. Which I would have loved him to have been shot and not killed because you just took a villain off the table for no reason. I know. Sending him to prison is way more dangerous for Veronica. Even divorced. He's dangerous in prison. Him being dead is just kind of like, really? Well, you should have killed Hiram and not Chad. Because that would have been a great reveal that she didn't get Chad. Hiram was there with him to make sure he got the job done or whatever. Hmm. Even though, you know, Hiram didn't know anything about this. I don't know. I want Hiram dead and Chad (laughs) in prison. Yeah, whatever. So Chad's dead. Chad's dead. As she's pointing a gun at Chad's dead body still, Cheryl calls. Oh, Cheryl, any news? Oh, she's not that calm. (laughs) No, she's not. Um, we cut over to Hiram's office and he's just like, you came to finish the job. Veronica's just like, I can't tell you how tempting that proposition is, but I've already seen blood spilt today. So she just kind of taunts him. And this again, she feels right because she's being very smug. It's like, you couldn't kill Archie again. You literally dropped a mountain on Archie and you still couldn't kill him. That all is fair. She just kind of leaves it with, if you ever come after me or Archie again, you'll end up getting shot just like Chad. To which he's like, what? Call Dr. Curdle for the details. Bye, you little bitch. That Again, too much. It just should have been, call Dr. Curdle for the details. And left. That would have been more impactful. The bye, little, you little bitch, is just, is so immature and shows that she is not in control at all. She thinks she is, but she's not. I still don't care. I know you don't I just care. like I just love every opportunity to just to dunk, destroy Hyrule at on this Hiram. point. I don't hate that either. But this is a character who should have all of the finesse when it comes to dealing with Hiram. Yeah, I know. And there's none. And that's what's not okay. We also have to mention, I used to admire you, but now you're this silly cartoon. Which Hello, you're listening to our podcast. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I'll DM me for my uh, address where you can send the check. <laughs> I mean, I that's the thing, though. I love that Hiram has turned into a cartoon villain. Sure. He's more fun that way. He's more fun that way because it's true to the comic character, too. It's like he's not a, he's not so villainous, but he is a cartoon. <laughs> no, he's more fun that way. Like, I just I want to win this auction, but it only works. When Veronica's response to him is indifference. Yes. Pure hatred can be fun for a while, but it gets really boring. And that's why I just, that's why I've talked ad nauseum about stop with the daddy can stop with the daddy. She should be calling him Hiram. She should, you know, it should be father. She should be very formal with him. They finally went for that and they got the ballots very wrong. Sure. So we go over to the junkyard and Betty's, you know, laying out the plan to everybody. Everyone's got their weapons. Tony hands her stun gun to Tabitha. He's like, do you know how to use this? I'm from Chicago. And I like how Betty's like, you good, Jug? And he's like, yeah. And he just pulls out his switchblade. And I was just like, classic Jug. I love it. <laughs> it's in this moment, like this episode, Jughead feels like old Jughead in a good way. Yeah, it's it's a thing of like, he's been Forsyth for a while, but Jughead never really went away. <laughs> no, but like we see him with the blade, which is very funny. His hair is the way we've seen it before. The only thing that's missing is his hat mm-hmm. and you know, his, his jacket, everything. It's just classic thug jug. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So Jughead goes in to talk to Dreyfus and starts asking questions. And Mr. Dreyfus like, oh, we were wondering if we were going to have to worry about you. So Jughead just starts laying out what he knows. And as that's happening, we see the others walking through the junkyard. Tony runs into a sculpture and then she finds the shed and Britta is inside and it's locked. And then we see that someone kind of grabs Tony from behind, but we don't see who they are. Fangs runs through and he steps on a bear trap. Tabitha gets grabbed from behind by someone in a Mothman suit of armor, if you will. Betty shoots one and then Fangs gets his shotgun right in another one's chest. It's like, do you want to test this armor against a point blank shotgun? And they go when he goes, yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> Tabitha, she loses her stun gun, but then she's able to get it and she stuns the person right in the crotch because where they don't have any armor. Then Betty is being choked by their mothmen, but then in her head, she sees it as the TBK. And so things escalate with Mr. Dreyfus inside. He's trying to stab Jughead. And then we cut back to outside. Tony comes to get to Betty and we find out that, you know, okay, yeah, we found Britta and she's okay. It turns out not all of the mothmen are bad guys. And then we see Britta and this other gentleman we've not met who's got this red birthmark around his eyes. And that's what Lerman was talking about. And he's got like one of those mountain hats. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. He's the one good Starkweather. He's probably the one who's like, I don't like this. This isn't okay. I'm really scared. Sure. And he's probably one of the younger ones. The youngest one, probably. You know, they keep hearing rustling and he's like, Jughead! So they go in and Jughead, it looks like a fire poker that he's got in Mr. Dreyfus's mouth. And he just says, he tried to bite off his tongue, but not before he answers our questions. And so then he takes it out of his mouth, which I don't know why he does that. And then Betty's like, you sick piece of, and stomps on his face and knocks him out. With the squish noise. We got the squish noise. So like, like this season, we've had two face stompings. Archie stomped the, the dog dude and Betty stomping this dude. Not the not the squish. That's yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. We go to the Tang's apartment and uh, Tony's trying to help Fang. He's like, how does it feel? My foot? Like it's on fire. The rest of me? Like a complete ass. <laughs> Which Tony jokes says, oh, who would have known you're walking into the hills have eyes? Great reference. It's true. Which we've mentioned as well. I've not really, I've not seen that movie, but I really want to now. And Fang is just like, Tony, we can do this, right? She's like, yeah, we got this. Just you and me watching each other's backs, which is, again, so sweet. Like, no. this, this, was, this was perfect after the events that they've just been through. Like, just them, like, confirming, like, we can do this. We're going to be okay. I love how sweet Fangs is. And also, just, I'm like, Fangs, you just got your foot caught in a bear trap trying to save a teen from murderers. You can raise a child. Like this, that's, that's like the easiest thing you'll have to do at this point. We cut on over to the Pembroke and Archie and Veronica are in a bubble bath and our fancy bathtub, which I'm way jealous of. I want that bathtub. <laughs> and she's like, not even Earth swallowing you whole could keep us from this moment, Archie Kins. Your guardian angel deserves a raise, to which Archie says, more than one, Ronnie. Is this the most romantic scene these two have ever had together? No, it was end of season three when they kissed under the tree. This is pretty good, though. This is good. This is good. This makes sense. This feels natural for them. It feels more intimate than just them boning. Well, okay. But we've talked about how they have a very physical relationship they always had. Yeah. And it is definitely more romantic as opposed to sexual. But no, their most romantic moment was when they kissed under the tree at the end of season three. Like, because it was so emotionally earned 
and it was shot beautifully. And I was like, this is the most romantic they've ever been. Yeah. This is close, but like they just had a brush with death. So like mm, kind of <laughs> undercuts like, yeah, duh. Then we see Hiram burning a photo of Hermione and Veronica. Nothing left to lose for Hiram. I don't know. I don't know what this means for him. I mean, I I think it's pretty obvious. I just, I really hope we get Hermosa back to create more chaos. Oh, I'm sure. Then we have Betty talking to Dreyfus, and he's handcuffed, and she's just like, I've spoken to my colleagues at the FBI, and they'll be here to take you soon, and your brother's away. Before that happens, I would very much appreciate it if you could tell me where my sister is. Please tell me. And he just looks at her. So she's in the junkyard. I can draw you a map. And we see Betty and Alice walking through the junkyard and they go to a car and it's shot completely from the top down. So we see the top of the car, we see the top of the trunk and Betty forces it open with crowbar. And then we cut from inside the trunk. We just see their reaction to what they see. And it's just instant crying. And then Betty embraces her mom and turns her mom's head. She doesn't look at it anymore. And they're just Mm -hmm. crying. And that's how they end the episode. No theme, just the sound of the, the wind sound chimes of nature. from the junkyard. Beautifully done and Ugh. emotionally impactful. And I really, I really, truly love that they didn't show us Polly in the trunk. Yeah. We assume that's what happened. I and mean, of course, that's where she is. They have to kill Polly. Yes. If Polly's not dead, that none of this is all for nothing. Now, if Polly's being held captive by TBK, that's a different thing. That's a different story. That's fine. But all of this will never have the emotional weight if Polly's not dead. So the way they shot that, which I got, I mean, I know I'm not happy with Natalie Bull and the Veronica stuff. You did this beautifully. This was done perfectly. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's great. Yeah. It has the emotional weight. It hit. It was a great note to end on. We know what's coming next. So we're like, yeah, that you just set us up perfectly. That's something this show has on occasion done really well is deal with the death of significant characters, and mm-hmm. one I think is seeing Jason die in the first season because of the reactions of the characters. Well, what I love is before we see the video, we only see the character's reaction to it. Yeah. And that was beautiful. And then later, we know it's going to be shocking. And then what's shocking is we find out who did it. Yeah. When, when the audience finally sees how he was killed, that's when we find out who did it. That was great. It's one thing Riverdale has done okay with. Uh, <laughs> this was just done really well because we don't need to see Polly. Absolutely not. And I know they'll tell us later if she was dismembered or like how she actually died. We'll probably find out later. I'm also fine if they don't tell us. It's enough for us to know the Mothman killed her. Yeah. But I really hope in next episode, Betty finally tells other people, someone else about the TBK. I would be willing to bet it's going to be her mother. No, I don't think she's going to tell her mom. Because mm. it tells her mom that her now her mom has to worry about Betty's life because the TBK is still out there. That's true. No, Betty's never telling her mom that. Well, maybe we should go check out what's happening next week. Well, we we know it's a musical episode, so let's go watch the next time on preview, and then we'll talk about that. All right. Well, 
the actress who plays Polly is going to be back. So she'll be there in hallucination form, Uh which again, we're doing next to normal, which I don't have the best synopsis for, but deals with the loss of a child and I believe bipolar and hallucinating. So exactly what we expect. And then we also see Jughead is going to pretend to be Tabitha's boyfriend for, I guess, her parents are coming to town. So that's going to be uh, interesting. It's probably her parents. And Veronica is suggesting that her and Archie move in together, which the second that happens, someone's going to be pregnant. Yeah. I've said this before. I'm so expecting Betty to be pregnant with Archie's baby because that will complicate Archie and Veronica. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a classic thing that happens. You know, even Veronica could be, could be pregnant and that could complicate things too. And she doesn't know if it's Archie or Chad's. Because remember, she slept with Chad not too long ago. Yep. When she was also sleeping with Archie. So it could be either. So then we could have that problem. And the next season we could have Mamma Mia. That's fine. Except Chad's dead. <laughs> it's still a problem. It shouldn't be a problem, but it could become a problem. Well, I get that, but I'm like, Mamma Mia, but he's dead? You still got to find out who's daddy. <laughs> who's the new daddy kins around. It's going to be a problem because you know what? Chad has parents. As far as we know, they find out Veronica's pregnant. That's our grandchild. And also Alice is going to point blank accuse Betty of being the reason for Polly. Yep. Being dead. That's going to hurt Betty. That that one thing is the only thing that gives me pause to think she might tell her mother about TBK. No. I know it doesn't necessarily make sense, but it's also entirely possible that's where they go with it. It it might be, but I feel like Betty, while Betty is definitely not okay, I feel like Betty would do everything she can to protect her mom from that information because it would make her worry. Because of how much she's had to bear, Betty's not going to give her anything more. She might immediately then go to Jughead to say that, though. If there was any one person for her to tell it was going to be, it's going to be Jughead. It's going to be Jug. Oh, and then, oh. Uh, issues issues with tabitha that's gonna i don't know like him pretending to be boyfriend with tabitha also might cause some issues oh absolutely (laughs) so it'll be interesting um i gotta go listen to next normal so i can um be extra judgy about the musical (laughs) that's my homework for the week but until next time hashtag bulldogs forever. forever Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.